Those of you who've sat with me before, and I think many people in this room, know that, that one of the things that I shout continuously from the hilltops, you could say, is, is that we are, we are so much um, more, um, so much more um, profound as beings, as uh, our life is so much, uh, the reality of our life is so much uh, more beautiful than the way we usually think about ourselves. And this, uh, this very sad fact that most of us in our innocent conditioning are and from unwise attention, we tend to be bound up in our internal dialogue much of the time. Uh, and as I mentioned most weeks, that we tend to be somewhat disembodied. And we tend to associate our well-being and happiness with, uh, with somewhere else other than where, where we're actually sitting and existing and part of the part of that comes out of the this i call it a maniacal internal dialogue that is constructed the version of ourselves in our in our mental world of being somebody who is in the simplest way of putting it um, a problem to be solved uh, somehow fundamentally flawed, not enough, insufficient, uh, not as good as. Uh, and once we are living in that particular kind of narrative, the narrative of unworthiness, of insufficiency, uh, there is a, a, a natural inclination to do something about it. And what the mind tends to do is create a version of ourselves that thinks, I have to do something to be okay. And, unfor and fortunately, meditation practices bring us, hopefully, face to face with the moment to moment reality where you cannot on present evidence, find, really find anything that's wrong with you. Other than the view that something's wrong. As Kala Rinpoche says, you are the Buddha. You're, and Buddha means awake. Your natural state is, you could say, primordial awareness. As Thich Nhat Hanh says, you are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living. Stop being the destitute child. Come home. Reclaim your heritage. So you, hopefully in a very short span of time, no matter where or how far you've wandered from the simplicity of the present moment, that peace of your natural state that natural wakefulness is a split second, a half breath away. And we hopefully come face to face with the, with the direct experience of ourselves 
And, you know, sometimes we think we're experiencing ourselves, but we're, what we're actually experiencing is a, a filtered version of ourselves, a filtered view, a jaundiced view, you might say. Almost our physical pain is, is experiences something wrong. Our emotional pain is experiences something wrong. Our thinking uh, negatively, it's something wrong. Rather than seeing these things as our conditioning, that so much of it is systemic, so much of it is really not even personal, if we could just see that and know that this is the story that the mind tells, but the, but the true, the truth of our existence is that we are, as like I said before, we are Buddhas. We are, each of us, the richest person on earth. I don't mean the biggest bank account. I mean the, the richness of being uh, intrinsically aware and having within the nature of our hearts and minds all of the most uh, noble qualities, potential in ignobling qualities that, that because they have not been nurtured, because that we have not been, uh, because we've fallen into what the Buddha called avidya or ignorance, we have missed vidya, which is this natural openness out of which comes all of our, all the intelligence of humans, the, uh, the unconfined capacity to love, to understand, to be intelligent. Everything flows from each person here. No matter what your ability, no matter what your color or, or views, no matter how far you've gotten in your, in your self-view and the self-view of, of much of us that lives in San Francisco is, is the, um, we can call it our political views, uh, we can call it our social views. You know, we get, in our views, we form all these identities of either inferior, superior, equal to. Our mind falls into what's called mana. Mana is conceit or comparing. And this view of ourselves uh, is, it's, it's not accurate. It's erroneous. And it's called, it's called avijja. And no matter how far you've wandered, when we start noticing those views, we start to see that they're empty. They don't, they don't capture us. All they do is cause us suffering when we don't understand them. When we fall into that case of mistaken identity with our political views, you know, I was talking to somebody today, and you know, a little bit about the, about the, you know, there's a there's a way that, even though I'm, I would call myself, and I would call everyone here to a degree, you know, relative to the rest of the world, we are all, you could say that we all are privileged. But there are within our culture those who are more privileged. And it seems that the common political view is that the privileged are oblivious. And the privileged are just kind of blind, or not blindly, um, um, obliviously going about um, uh, in an uncaring way about people who have less privilege. Would you say that that's a, a common view? I mean, it's a, it's a common 
view on from a certain certain view of reality. And once I let's say I hold that view, then when I every time I I see something that either reinforces that view or um, yeah, something like that, I'll notice that I that I will freeze up, I'll get angry, or I'll and I'll and I don't realize that moment that I get angry, that moment that I contract. And then that contraction then sends my mind again into that view that they they become the other and I become the, the one who's who's okay. I create an identity for myself that is um, superior or righteous or right, and then I create them as wrong. This, doesn't, this is not rocket science. This is what we all do in so many different ways. And when I, when I enter into that stream of identity, I start to suffer a lot. And I may not even know that I have, I have built, I built a house of ego. I've built a house of insecurity. And it happens within a, within a minute. And I'll start to believe that I'm actually that one who is superior or who is right or instead of recognizing, oh, there's the identity view. There's getting caught in the polarized view of, of who's okay and who's not. There's the... And we can see that in every side of this, the, this, the political spectrum, people are identifying with their views. They're identifying with their, with their privilege or with their education or with their, their physical attributes or their, whatever it is. Every time we land in some kind of identity, we have completely shrunk ourselves into a, into a field of insecurity and we've lost touch with the grandeur of our being. That every being is at its root, at our root, at our fundamental root, incomparable. Beyond all these polar, polarized views, beyond name, beyond form, beyond time, and within us all the qualities of the heart that, um, that are available to us, they get blocked in that kind of confusion. So it is, it is hard enough, it is hard enough to deal with this absolutely crazy world that for every person, privilege or not, every person has, an, has a measure of dukkha, of things that are really hard to bear. Every single person. This is, you could say, this is a kind of, the human realm is both a beautiful realm where there's so much beauty and so much love, but it's also a hell realm. And it doesn't matter how good a person you are, you're still going to experience a, a, all, all manner of difficulties. It's hard enough as it is in this time, in this political, and this social time, it's hard enough as it is without, without adding to the burden with our internal dialogue that's continually telling us that we're not okay. And so it's essential, if for nothing more, not to, no, this is just 
not just for nothing more, but at least, at least embrace what you can manage in this maniacal life, in this crazy life. What you can manage is you can put your tush on the cush. And I say this metaphorically. You can, you have the power to train your attention, to orient yourself to the natural richness of being awake and start to check out your life, not the story of your life, but to check out your life on present evidence. When you're stepping, when you're eating, when you're sitting, notice, take the seat of the Buddha, the one who knows, and just check it out. Find again the simplicity. Find the stranger, as Derek Walcott says, find the stranger who was yourself. Your deeper self, you could say. The stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you've ignored for another, who knows you by heart. That in you that is aware and awake, that has followed you through your highs and your lows, your, your, your grandiose identities and your deflated ones. That is untouched by all the experiences that you, that you go through in your life. Uh, that is there for you as your natural state. You can reclaim your heritage as Thich Nhat Hanh says. You can stop being the destitute child. You can see for yourself. You can at least mitigate the craziness of the world by, by finding that natural peace and calm that is the natural peace and calm of your own mind. You can see from that, the point of view of moment-to-moment attention, you can see the difference between what your real experience is, which is pretty simple, and what the story of your experience is, the story that plays through your mind. You can see the difference. And the other thing, if any of you have sat with me, you know that I am, for over the years, I'm crazy about the words of, of James J. Audubon, where he said, if there's a difference between the bird and what the field guidebook says, believe the bird. Believe what you actually experience, not what you imagine. Not what you imagine about yourself, not what you imagine about others. Stick with at least one thing we can do is we can find reality. And not only do we, can we find reality, that if you actually do this, if you really do this, you really get in the habit of orienting to real time. You will, you'll move beyond, I think I may have alluded to this last week, I don't remember in the, Q of A, but in the Q&A, but I thought I talked about it a little bit. But you will move from, from just the, the Dharma being a, a, um, uh, an inspiring idea. You'll move from bright faith, that faith that I'm willing to, I'm willing to come to Tuesday nights or I'm willing to, to try a little meditation. I'm willing to trust a little bit sitting with some other people but you'll move from that bright faith into, into exerting yourself a little bit. 
sitting on some retreats, getting in daily practice. In fact, I'm thinking of starting next week another 100-day practice period where we commit to at least a couple or three times a day and that I'll encourage you to get a buddy. And if I forget to talk about this next week, somebody that's here, would you please remind me? And we'll, we'll uh, formalize it a little bit and, and make a commitment. But you, if you do, if you express a little bit of, uh, of exertion, and I don't mean flex your muscles, I mean give yourself to the practice of attention. Try to make it as seamless as you can from the moment you wake up in the morning till the time you go to sleep at night. Start orienting to, to real time because otherwise you will live in, in your idea of reality. You won't actually experience it. It's just this, it's, it's a little bit anomalous to the, it's the way we are with our feelings. You know, we are great at thinking about our feelings, but we're not actually so good at feeling them. And the feeling of them anchors us to present time. And present time, they everything becomes a little bit more manageable. But when I'm in my imagination about my feelings, they start being time-based problems to be solved instead of something resolved by attending to them with loving attention. So if you exert a little bit of the, the persistent, what we call the persistent effort or energy for practice, you will start to experience the fruits of it. The present moment and your, the present sense of being aware will hopefully become uh, so compelling that your desire to solve some problems at some other time, maybe you'll start solving the problems that are really right in front of your face, which is first and foremost, your own resolve your own uh, discomfort, your own mind. And that actually will help even free you up to solve the world's problems that become even more clear when, we're, um, when our minds are free of their usual preoccupations. So this, this early faith becomes, becomes the cause of more practice. And more practice becomes the cause of, of our mind and body coming together in harmony. And, and you will start to have a sense if you have a little concentration in moment, it'll start in moments, but you'll know, I am the richest person on earth. And you'll know it by this capacity that you have to experience a rapture, a well-being, a unified mind and body, some calm that doesn't necessarily have to do with some acquisition or spending money even. It has to do with attuning to the richness of a concentrated mind that is available to you as, as one of the qualities of your own mind. It's, an, it's actually, we have to condition it with practice, but it turns out to be an unconditional quality. A mind that is empty, still, unified. That's natural to us. But we have to train it in order to recognize it again. And if you do that a little bit, so what I'm going through right now are what are called the five spiritual faculties. Faith and effort and energy and concentration. And that then makes our mind much more, when it's unified, it becomes much more bright. And when it's bright, we, 
are more able to see clearly what our mind is actually doing, what our body is actually doing. And you, you get to see how much our mind is not just having thoughts, not just having feelings, not just having sensations, but it's reacting to them all over the place. The pleasant ones were wanting more, then we're spinning out in fantasy. The unpleasant ones were wanting less, and then we're spinning out in fear and rejection and anger at everything, internal and external. When you get to see your mind doing that, you literally are at the beginning of letting it all come and go and, stop and, and stepping out of that game of continuing to create more and more stress, compounding it through our mental reactivity. That is the power of mindfulness to actually to see how we create a sense of self and to let it go. To see that even our identities as being angry or happy or good or bad or great, all of them are not just changing conditions. They're just like a, they're like quick, there's just no way to find satisfaction in them. And the more you see it, the more you have wisdom. So you've got Faith, which gets stronger when you produce effort, then it produces concentration, it produces mindfulness, then you start to really understand this mind and you have wisdom. And that just intensifies your faith and confidence that you truly are the richest person on earth who've been up until now begging for a living. And you can actually you know you have the tools, you have the key to stop being the destitute child. And it's, how do you come home and reclaim your heritage? You remember that I am the Buddha. I'm awake. And what I'm awake to is the Dharma. The way things actually are in real time. Not just my story about it. What I actually experience. And... This, these five spiritual faculties, faith and energy and concentration and mindfulness and wisdom or discernment, those, those qualities, those spiritual faculties become spiritual powers. They become spiritual powers because they become unshakable. Your faith becomes unshakable. Your, your energy becomes much more this kind of inexhaustible wakefulness. I'm not saying you don't need to sleep. I'm just saying you have access to a, a, a kind of, you plug into a, a, a socket of life rather than the diminishing effect of living so much in the imagined past and future. You, so the, the faith becomes unshakable because it's, it's verified by your own experience. Your energy becomes more steady. Your concentration becomes more the sense of naturalness. Mindfulness, you see, is, uh, is, is just this reliable uh, tool of unsticking from the grasping mind, from the reactive mind, and out of it comes so much love and understanding, and it just uh, and it just increases your your confidence this is something you can do during this this crazy life with all its problems and so at least individually internally we are not adding to the burden which is already heavy enough in this world of things that we want that we don't get things that we get that we don't want it's hard 
I, in the last, yesterday I was, I, on the weekend I was teaching a retreat in, in Saskatchewan. And unfortunately in Saskatchewan, you can't get home on Sunday evening all the way in order to do my, my meetings on Monday. So at 8 in the evening, I flew to Calgary and spent the night in, in the hotel there at the airport. And at 5 in the morning, to make my 7 o'clock flight for 9 o'clock arrival here, I woke up and I looked in the mirror and my face was swelling. Unbidden, some kind of allergic reaction. I've been having them a little more recently. All of a sudden, I look almost, you know, look in some ways like a, you know, some kind of freakish thing on my face. It's still a little swollen on this side. It's 36 hours later. It's kind of weird and I don't know what it is. But stuff happens unbidden to our bodies. You know, from the moment we're born, we're subject to conditions that we don't necessarily understand or like. We have to have a way of not compounding the stress. And that was really disconcerting to see that. And the last time it came, my, my whole lip swole up on the front. Maybe there's a medical person here that understands it. I have not a clue. But that's not the point of this. The point is that we have to have a way of being able to meet these experiences and not have them throw us off our seat. And, not, and, and that is the external experiences too. The politics. Of course, there's, there's everything has got its shadows. This world has within it a lot of greed and a lot of hatred and a lot of ignorance. And we have to have a way of meeting it. So, maybe I'm preaching to the choir. You're already... You know, you're already on fire with your practice, but um, just an encouragement to take advantage of your riches, richness and practice until you feel these spiritual faculties become powers and that and at least less can throw you off your seat. <laughs> I know this thing on my face threw me off my seat. I'm a work in progress, but, but there, I, I do feel, in spite of my... my um, moments of greed, hatred, and delusion, I do, in more moments, feel like the richest person on earth and, uh, and a little bit less begging for a living. So may we all awaken to our true nature. May we all believe the bird and not the field guide book. Bird, field guide book. And uh, may we all be liberated. And may that liberation of our own heart be just given over to the welfare and benefit of, of all beings so that we can just keep awakening each other. Um, and learn how to sit in the middle of it all. May all beings be liberated. May our practice benefit all beings. Thousand thank yous. Remember, seven o'clock next Tuesday. This is the last seven thirty. <laughs> it feels momentous, and so what? <laughs> thank you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.